Father, this morning my prayer is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So today I want to ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question. You don't need to answer out loud, but you are allowed to nod vigorously. So where did you get your Easter suit when you were a kid? Danny and I were talking about this the other day. When I was a little boy... We went over to Robert Hall. That was the place where little boys got their suits for Easter. But you had to go early because, you know, the tailor would put you up on that box and you would wear your Buster Browns because you wore your very best shoes to church. I had my Buster Browns and you would do the hem. Did you want a cuff? Did you not want a cuff? And they would measure the sleeves to make sure they were right. And then... You would leave the store. I always thought that was funny. You would leave the store and then go back two weeks later to pick up the suit with all the other people who were picking up their suit for Easter. Now, when I outgrew Robert Hall, or maybe they closed, then we got our, 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 our Easter suits at Sears. And I'll tell you, the most embarrassing one was my mom and I went to Sears And we got this Robin's Egg Blue sports coat. It was gorgeous. I was probably 11 or 12 years old. And in those days, I wore a white turtleneck and my mom got me white pants. I was was the height of fashion. And darn if Joey Offler's mom didn't buy him exactly the same outfit. So here I came in on Easter Sunday with my suit from Sears ready to go. And Joey Offler looked exactly the same as me. I hope you're listening, Joey Offler. (laughs) Now, when I got a little older, I went to Today's Man, and then they closed. Then I went to K&G, and most recently at DXL Casual Mail. But you have to go early because you know that Easter's coming and there's going to be a rush. Now, I want you to know I no longer really need to buy a new suit every year because I, I haven't grown any taller since 1978. But I do like to go and get a new shirt and tie combination for Easter Sunday. So I I went in to buy my new shirt and tie this week, and I I looked around in the men's section, and there was nothing new out. Now, usually you can tell what color all the men are going to have in church because that's the color that's most prominent. It's usually a pastel, a purple, a pink, a blue. This was my Easter shirt a couple of years ago. And there was nothing out. And the lady came over and said, can I help you? And I said, where are all the Easter shirts? And without missing a beat, she said, there is no Easter this year. They didn't send us any new dress wear. COVID is trying to cancel Easter. I want you to hear that. She looked me right in the eye and said, there is no Easter this year. And I wanted to shout back, yes, there is. Come to my church. I'm going to preach on Easter. But before I preach on Easter, I got to preach on Palm Sunday. Now, there's some perspectives. If you're a pastor, when you're preaching on a, a passage that you've preached on many times, and I met with a couple this week, to, they're getting married, and I said, you know, I've been a pastor for 34 years. They said, when did you start? I said, 1984. They said, Doc, you've been a pastor for 37 years. It's like, how did that happen? 
But if you preach on Palm Sunday for 37 years, you sometimes have to look for new ways to approach the text. So I've heard sermons on the the passers-by, the the cheerleaders with their pom-poms. I've heard uh, sermons from the perspective of the owner of the donkey. Why was he so willing to lend his Mercedes to the disciples? I've even heard a sermon from the perspective of the donkey. And what was it like to carry uh, Jesus on Palm Sunday Road? I've, I've heard from the disciples' perspective. Because in essence, they were stealing the Cadillac for Jesus to ride in in the parade. But I've not really heard a Palm Sunday sermon from the perspective of Jesus. Now, if you've been listening as we went through Lent, Jesus has told his disciples several times that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, that he's going to be killed and will raise again in three days. And the disciples have, in essence, covered their ears and gone, because they don't want to hear that. In fact, you remember, Peter said that to Jesus, and Jesus said, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. That was that great sermon about the lady buying the dress, remember? And Satan said, you look as good from behind as you do in the front, and she bought the dress. The disciples did not want to hear that the end of the story would end in crucifixion. The disciples are very excited to hear that Jesus is walking into Jerusalem as a triumphant king. In fact, we call this passage in Scripture the triumphal entry. Well, here are six things that Jesus knew. He knew that the same people who cried Hosanna today would shout crucify him on Friday. He knew that the priests who were supposed to be mediating between God's people and God, would crucify and condemn God's only son. He knew that the disciples would desert him. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that his heavenly father would turn his back on him. And he knew that he would be crucified. I read a book this week called uh, The Case for Easter. It's by Lee Strobel. You may have seen he's written a series of The Case for All involving parts of Scripture. And he interviewed a forensic coroner, the guy who talks about and learns about how people die. And I'm not going to go through it step by step, but he, in the book, enumerates all the reasons that this coroner, this forensic expert, said Jesus died on the cross and he talks about the placement of the nails and the scourging of his back and the placement of the nails in his feet and how he was probably drowning to death in his own fluids nobody on palm sunday knew this except jesus so i want to do three traits three characteristics that we can take from Jesus' willingness to get on that donkey and ride to Jerusalem that we can interpolate to our lives. And they all begin with the letter C, if you're taking notes. We're going to talk about Jesus' courage. We're going to talk about Jesus' commitment. And we're going to talk about Jesus' compassion. So the first thing I want you to think about is, and this is a quiz that Vicky is not allowed to participate in, Do not shout out the answer. Raise your hand if you know my favorite opera. I'm hurt. Okay, Vicki, what's my favorite opera? 
Carmen is my favorite opera. Now, I don't know if you know the opera Carmen, but I, I want to talk about two things. The first one you need to know is that if your name is the name of the opera, there's a high probability you're not going to make it to the end of the opera. You're going to die. So before we even get started, Carmen, by the end of the opera, is going to die. If your name is Tosca, you're going to die. If your name is Lucia, you're going to die. If your name is Aida, you're going to die. If your name is Otello, you're going to die. If your name is Andre Chenier, Cyrano, or even Margaret Garner, by the end of the opera, you're going to die. Well, today's opera is called Jesus. And by the end of the opera, he's going to die. Now, sometimes Vicky and I are watching a show on TV, and we talk sometimes during the television show, and she'll say, how did they know that? And I always say the same thing. I say, well, they read the script. And sometimes she laughs, and sometimes she rolls her eyes at me, and that's okay. Either answer is acceptable. But the only person at this parade who read the script was Jesus. Jesus knew it was coming. Now, the other thing about Carmen that is wonderful is that the composer, Bizet, actually tells us from the beginning of the opera all the way to the end that Carmen is going to die. And he does it with a musical theme. It goes like this. Bum, 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 bum. And then the timpani and the bass drum go bum, bum. Ba, 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 ba. And every time there's a foreshadowing that Carmen is going to end poorly, you hear this music. Well, if I were writing the opera of Jesus, I would have to find a leitmotif, that little thing that said, even on the happiest moments, the wedding of Cana, the walking on the water, the feeding of the 5,000, or the triumphal entry, there would have to be a piece of music playing in the background that says, this is not the end of the story. Jesus has been shadowed by the realization that he is going to die for, not, for perhaps all of his ministry. So imagine Jesus is getting ready to get on the donkey. What would keep you from getting on the donkey? Again, a rhetorical question, but I want you to think about this. Jesus is getting ready to die for the sins of the whole world, and yet he didn't do anything wrong. If I were going to get on that donkey, my first thought would be, but I didn't do anything wrong. The second thought would probably be, I don't deserve this. The third thought would be, they deserve this. The fourth thought might be, why me? And the fifth might be, is there another way? Now, what we call that in psychology is anxiety. Anxiety is the fear of what if. Well, Jesus not only has the fear of what if, but he knows what the what if is. The cross is waiting for him at the end of this journey. Courage for me is overcoming the anxiety, overcoming the what ifs to do what God has called each and every one of us to do. Jesus, in courage, got on the donkey. Now, the second C is commitment. And I want you to think about this. We're going to pick up with the end of, of my last point. Jesus read the script. Jesus knew the cast. 
Jesus knew the pain that was coming. Jesus knew the plan and the purpose that God had put in place. And Jesus knew what would happen if he didn't go to Jerusalem. Jesus followed God's plan and purpose. But you know what? The plan only works if you follow it to the end. I don't know about you, but I I am not a huge fan of Ikea unless one of my children comes and assembles stuff for me. I am dyslexic. I have zero right and left orientation. And Vicki will tell you that in the midst of building something, she will hear grumbling from the other room because it always happens. I get my right and left orientation wrong. And I, it's always one of those bolts or those screws that you can't get out. Once it's done, it's done. And now she's got a grumpy, grumbling husband on her hands. And she comes and goes, okay, we can figure this out. And I'm like, this always happens to me. Why don't they put the stuff there? I know this never happened to any of you with Ikea. But it happens to me all the time. But there's a a plan when you buy something from Ikea. They show you what it looks like in the store already made up. There's a picture on the box. You've got to follow the plan. And then if you do it right, you get that thing. Same thing happens with jigsaw puzzles. You ever think about that? I don't know about you, but my grandmother refused to let us see the picture for the jigsaw puzzle. She would put the puzzle on the table and she would turn the box over. She said, it's not a challenge. If you can see the picture, you got to have a plan and a purpose. Think about this. We all have GPS now in our cars or on our phones, but imagine if you only listened to the GPS halfway through. You said, oh, I got it from here, and you turned it off. None of us would get to our destination, or what I like to call using our God's positioning system, our GPS. Jesus knew where he was going. There's an ancient legend about a monk who found a precious stone, a jewel, and a short time later, the monk met a traveler. The traveler said he was hungry and asked if the monk would share his provisions. When the monk opened his bag to share what he had with the traveler, the traveler saw the precious stone and on impulse asked the monk if he could have it. Amazingly, the monk gave the traveler the precious stone. The traveler departed quickly, overjoyed with his new possession. But a few days later, he came back. And he searched for the monk, and when he found him, he returned the stone, and he made a request. He said, please give me that which enabled you to give me this precious stone. A commitment of the whole heart, that's what the kingdom of heaven requires of its followers. And that's what God required of Jesus, the commitment of a greater cause, the sacrifice and the hard work to travel that Palm Sunday road. A few centuries before Jesus, there was a man you may have heard of named Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, the story is told, came to a town that was fortified with huge walls and was on the edge of a cliff. And as happens during a war, he sent envoys and they sent envoys out under the white flag And they said, Alexander the Great, you can't get into our city. Our walls are too high. It's too dangerous. Please just skip us and and go on to your next conquest. 
Alexander the Great lined up his men. And he lined them up facing the cliff. And he said, forward, march. And row by row, the Greek soldiers walked off the edge of the cliff to their death. After several rows had done that, he called a halt. And he looked at the town's emissaries. And they knew that a man with commitment like that from his soldiers could overcome any obstacle. His soldiers were willing to die for him. And Jesus, by getting on the donkey, is showing us that he was ready to die for us. That's commitment. The third point this morning is compassion. Jesus loved you and me so much that he willingly went to Jerusalem to die in our place. I'm going to finish with this story. In the book Written in Blood by Robert Coleman, he tells the story of a little boy whose sister needed a transfusion. The doctor explained that she had the same disease that her brother had recovered from two years earlier. And her only chance for recovery was a transfusion from somebody who had previously conquered the disease. The two children had a rare blood type, and the doctor explained that that made the brother the perfect donor for the sister. The doctor asked, would you give your blood to your sister Mary? The little boy Johnny hesitated. His lip trembled. He paused. He smiled and said, sure, for my sister. When the time came for the transfusion and the nurse inserted the needle into Johnny's arm, he looked at the doctor and he asked, when am I going to die? That's why Johnny hesitated. He thought that he was going to die in his sister's place. And out of love for his sister, he said yes. Each of us has a condition worse than Mary's. It has a terminal diagnosis. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus, like Johnny, or Johnny, like Jesus, was willing to shed his perfect sinless blood for each and every one of us. Now that you know all that took Jesus to get on the donkey and ride to the end of Palm Sunday Road, now you can shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord for me. Amen. If you've never made a decision,